Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's proceedings. First off, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation and enjoying it. Make sure you subscribe to the Longhorn Blitz podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Subscribe to the Hornets 24-7 podcast feed and get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, get over to Horns247.com. Best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Mike Roach and Hudson Standish. Uh, Team news, notes, and nuggets. The power of the 24-7 sports network. It's all there for you at Horns247. 24-7. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. Uh, you, uh, We were talking earlier. Matt is a daily fantasy guru because you're talking about value plays uh, right around the trade deadline when guys are switching teams and they haven't gotten somewhere yet and uh, finding those hidden gems on the bench to win you some daily fantasy money yep trade deadlines chaos just because uh, it, it, afterwards some teams are just brand new but in between you got guys you never heard of before and just sort of like april basketball but in february uh, a man who uh, he can thrive in chaos or any situation uh, because he is a renaissance man and he's just that damn good at everything he does uh, wears many hats for the austin radio network including co-hosting ball don't lie from 3 to 7, each and every weekday on the Horn with Mike Harge. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree 
Whenever that team ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Appreciate that intro as always, brother. It's always uh, fantastic. And Rod, I do I do own one of your rookie cards now in my uh, card collection, so... Finally got that done. It ain't it's, worth nothing. It's not the one I wanted, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's a Rod Baker's rookie thing, card, nonetheless. Ten uh, cents. Factor in shipping. It's a it's a few bucks. I was gonna say two two tell me two twenty five or something <laughs> like that. It's all right. Yeah, worth well, something. That's all right. It's worth it's worth more to me than it is to anybody else. So I'll just buy it from you. I'll pay top dollar for them. <laughs> by the way, I'll pay like five dollars for that card. You're not gonna get that on the on the market. Things barely worth a quarter. I'll pay five dollars for it. Just reach out to me. So I'm, inflation, hey, I'm going to hook y'all up. You got a Rod Babers card, send to Rod B. I will give you $5 for a Rod B card. If you want to get mm-hmm. one of Rod's rookie cards, maybe maybe get that thing graded by a grading service. It um, comes back a 10, and it'll be, uh, it'll be a nice show, be, nice show piece. In the, in it the, ain't going to be worth $5, house, right? and I'll get that to you <laughs> on the spot. Crisp $5 bill. Rod, right. you you didn't you didn't collect any of your own cards or stuff like that, did you? Uh, well, I have some, yeah. Um, I had a, I had a really cool man. I had a really cool producer back in the day that gave me like a link to like an eBay site way back in the day. Obviously, talking about eBay, um, where uh, this guy was like selling a bunch of Rod B cards, so I bought a bunch of those. And then my wife, for one of the, man, it was either an anniversary or a birthday, she did some digging and found a whole bunch of them. She yeah. might have bought the last stock that's out there online. That's and, probably why there's there's seriously some some of your serial number rookie cards that I'm like, hey, man, I might try to go with that. I can't find them yeah, anywhere. Yeah, she went online and she bought a ton. So nice. uh, awesome. I got, I, I yeah, so she's, yeah, she's great. So I got a bunch of them at the house, courtesy of her. And the ones that I bought way, way back in the day. So I think I got a good, I got a good amount that when I have a kid, at least I can show the kid, like, hey, kid, it's, it's real, it was real. So, you know so, I mean? so wifey took care of the cards. Matt yeah. and I for Christmas when you guys we got did you the a video PS2, game. We took care of the video yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. So whenever I start, you know, having some some kids, I can actually have legitimate evidence that I was at one point in my life a badass. Yeah, no longer like, though. I found a <laughs> your still 2003 right. Bowman Gold. Selling for fourteen bucks, so Ooh, you, you okay. can find well, it. Okay, I get, you know what? I, I'll, uh, you know I what? might have to buy you this. I'm, no, I'm going to go buy that one. Send me that link. We, we need it. to buy it because honestly, I've been looking to buy a Bowman Gold, and I think you're looking at the only one that I found online. So probably before this oh, yeah. show goes live, we'll probably need to buy that. Bowman no, Gold Robbie's going to buy that <laughs> joint, man. Don't, don't, yeah, send it to me. I'll send it right now. Yeah, send that to your boy. I'll purchase that. You buying it right now, Matt? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna send the link right yeah. now. Okay. I, yeah, no doubt. No, it's no, good, no, man. It's a it's a uncirculated card, so it's it's never really? been in a pack. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got some, and I've had some really cool fans who've actually come up and sent and gave me one and wanted an autograph on one. So I, I got a good amount. Yeah. So I, I I thought about that too. As you get older, you think about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember when they gave all the players basically the Ed O'Bannon settlement or whatever mm-hmm. they gave all the players like I don't know, a certain amount of money depending on their name image and likeness and how long they had been represented on the game mm-hmm. and they stopped literally i want to say at 03 and yeah. my last year was 02 and i was thinking to my and they gave the guys i want to say i want to say that i told i told the guys that then because i was still closer to the program and i was talking to some of the guys i was like man if i was you guys honestly because they would get like five thousand dollar checks seven eight thousand which is pretty good that's a mm-hmm. that's a good payday but i was like man i'm telling you when y'all get older Y'all gonna want that video game. You gonna want your you gonna want your likeness on that game. That's gonna mean more to you than that five G's because 
man, and I know they really didn't have a choice in it, but to me, right. like that now as a forty some year old man, oh man. I'd give I'd, I'd give up that check any day to make sure my name, image, and likeness was on a video game. Yeah, because just nothing yeah. gets real That'd cool. Be cool to be. Yeah, in yeah there. exactly. It's just one of those randomly cool things. So anyway, uh, but it's coming. It's coming back out, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> just, yeah. Can you go back in the day though? Do they throwback teams on the on the new one? I would imagine they do. Yeah, they gotta have some codes to have throwback teams. I don't know if oh any of my Texas teams will be on there. Maybe the O one team holds a special place in my heart. Oh, one team is probably the best of those teams when look if you want to talk about them. For yeah. whatever it's worth, Rod, that team holds a special place in my heart. Appreciate that. So appreciate no, that. No, no problem. All right. Um what else holds a special place in everybody's heart is something that we're going to talk about, which is talking about scheduling. It's one of the things we talk about in the offseason. That's one thing I wanted to talk about today. We got we, we've got Bill Conley has also come out with his SP plus projections. That actually dropped today, uh, as we're recording the show. So we'll go over projected SP+. Plus. we got returning production. So there's kind of a, another smorgasbord episode of Longhorn Blitz. Actually, you know what? I'm going to put uh, some stuff on the Longhorn Blitz Twitter account, at Longhorn underscore Blitz. I think uh, soon we'll, we'll do like a mailbag episode where it's just like, hey, whatever questions the listeners have, I like that we'll idea. answer it. So I do want to do one yeah. of those here in the near future. Like but, uh, Rod, this is something that you, you brought up many years ago, and it, it kind of ties into – the Big 12 and the NFL, the perception in the NFL that the Big 12 had and, and the lack of draft picks, especially in certain mm-hmm. positions, uh, it's the fact that Texas, kind of the identity of the program is attached to the Big 12 because the Big 12's identity is attached to the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. And I just it's, I thought about it this morning. I'm like, man, this is the last football season, 2023, where Texas is going to have a direct affiliation with a conference that basically their identity is the state of Texas. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But now both of your two biggest programs in the state are in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Texas is going to the SEC. So, yeah, it is, you know, because the Southwest Conference obviously was mostly Texas, so was the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it was it was almost comfortable to have, you know, all those Texas schools and that Texas affiliation. Um, but now Texas is outside of that comfort zone now. I mean, you don't have – and you can and now Texas is a national brand, so it's yeah. not about recruiting. Somebody's like, oh, man, it's going to hurt recruiting. No, it's not going to hurt recruiting. Texas is fine in recruiting. That's not a big issue. Uh, to me, it's just – yeah, it's just going to be a change in mm-hmm. that whole – you know, Mac Brown built a lot of the, the aura of his recruiting around Texas. He was smart at the time, and it, it fit. He was like, no, 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 we need pride in the state of Texas. Yeah. Hell, I was playing in a Texas-California All-Star game as a senior, and, and, and it meant something to me. Like, it was yeah. not, we went to California to, you know, in hostile territory on the road, basically, trained there for, I don't know, was it a week or something like that, to go play California, and lost on a Hail Mary. Not on my side, uh, <laughs> but lost on a Hail Mary that was thrown. Um, I think that was Kyle Bowler, if I'm not mistaken. That threw it? Yeah, I want to say, right. right. say it was something yeah, like somewhere. that. But it, you know, my memory, obviously. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, it was, he, was, he built, so I was almost programmed. Growing up to be in, 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 at the Texas Texas A&M rivalry. Mm-hmm. So I was almost programmed to have that pride in the state. And therefore, it, and then even when he recruited other guys in my class, it was like bringing Texas back. You want to bring Texas back? Bring Texas back. And then we will do it with Texas players, uh, largely with Texas players. And then we will represent the state in that manner. So, But now that doesn't matter anymore. Those affiliations, those loyalties, 
Uh, that's antiquated. Yeah. That's not that's just that's just old thinking. So I agree it's uncomfortable for us, but that's all it is. It's just out of your comfort zone that's been Southwest Conference and then Big Twelve forever. Like there was you, at least like the one branding that's like the reason Bijan came though, to where like now you can get a national kid to be like, Hey, I like Texas. I want to go to true. Texas. But just saying that yeah, it, it's not necessarily what it was or keeping it in the state lines, they can work both ways. Yeah. It's interesting though. Um to your point, Rod, there are high school football prospects. Like, if you're a high school football prospect, let's say in the class of 2024, uh, like, you've known Texas A&M to be an SEC member longer than you've known A&M to be a member of the Big 12. Exactly. Yep. You know, so that's a it's, great point. I even think it's, it, forget it's been that long, but you're right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that's a great point. For me, it doesn't seem that long, but yeah. you're right. Yeah, and then still, still – to my dad, like the Big Eight was, you know, Oklahoma, Nebraska. You know, like to us, we think of the Big Twelve as Oklahoma mm-hmm. and Texas have been binded together because at our formative years, that's when that really started. But it was weird; they were always in a different com- conference, despite having the rivalry back and forth. Which is how kids now probably look at how Texas and A and M will be. It's just they never played each other for a decade. So yeah. I do like the fact that Texas last year in the Big Twelve, the the schedule will have a. a pretty good Southwest Conference flavor, kind of like your mm-hmm. last dance, having your identity, conference identity tied to the state of Texas because you'll play Baylor and TCU and Tech. Yep. You even throw Rice in there on the schedule. Yeah. It's the U of H. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's going to be – right. and, and, and this – we talked about this a, a few weeks ago when we talked about the favorable schedule. I mean, Texas is only leaving the state twice in 2023, going to Tuscaloosa and going to Ames late in the year. That's it. Yeah. Every other game you play this year is going to be played in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's extremely favorable. I mean, it really does, you know, kind of shatter a lot of the preconceived conspiracy theories about the Big 12 not doing Texas any favors. Like go to Morgantown one week, then Provo the next. Yeah, I'm not saying they did them <laughs> any favors, but they definitely didn't go out of their way to shaft Texas into scheduling. Yeah. No. I think most Texas fans like you believe, like, no, man, Texas has a pretty reasonable schedule you know, so I think now you're just adding to the expectations. We talked about this last week of what Texas needs to do because Longhorn fans keep looking at that schedule, playing the schedule game in their head and going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see, you know, I only see a loss here or one loss or two losses there. But we all know, I mean, the schedule plays out real differently. And we cannot discount the what we saw in the bowl game. I think it was important watching that bowl game for Texas and my biggest concern was what's going to be the identity of this offense when you lose your best leader right. and your best player on offense and how spectacularly unique and extraordinary both of those guys yeah. are. And they're both going to be playing in the NFL. Yeah. Texans or Cowboys, please draft Rojo in the third round. Do yourself a favor. Like, it, it would, you, you, you'll thank me later. Mm-hmm. Cowboys, like, don't draft Bijan in the first round. Don't do it. Don't let Don't the do Eagles it. Draft Just draft Rojo in like the late second or trade up in a second to get him, and then he'll be. The, I'm not saying Bijan ain't worth it, but honestly, Rojo's a better value in the NFL than a Bijan is for you. Bijan's gonna need a second contract after he balls out. Plus, Rojo, the, cow- the Cowboys have so many needs. At they this got point. so many needs. Yeah, but you can get Rojo on the cheap. Mm-hmm. Damn good back. Anyway, but I digress. We ain't there yet. We got plenty of time for that. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I do. I think for for Texas what the identity of the offense is going to be is going to be big. I know we're not getting into that now, but that's that bowl game, I still didn't see it. I still didn't see it. Well, yeah. and, I still you know, didn't see it. Talking about losing those running backs, and you know, we also talked about, say, the growth, that there was some growth from the offensive line, but you aren't really able to see the full picture until like when you see a bowl game without 
the running backs, and then the ineffectiveness of the line really shows that there can be some glaring holes if you don't have those guys that are like arguably the best that Texas has ever seen, like in the, at least in the last couple of decades after contact. And then you're hoping the O line can continue to progress, but then when you don't have that married with the backs behind it, it makes it a lot more questions to be asked that are going to be yeah. unanswered until that Alabama game, at least. They and were, even last year in the Alabama game might have been fool's gold because Texas, we came out of that thinking Texas's O-line was maybe better than it was. Yeah, yeah. I think we also knew that that was a lot of preparation for yep. that game in the offseason. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was like the too. Tom Herman like game the, you had all year to prepare for. It. Yes, exactly, right? The Tom, yeah, and the Tom Bo Herman, yeah, that kind them. of stuff. I, I do think that the training wheels are kind of off now for Sark and off for the offensive line and the quarterback position because, I mean, that's basically what Bijan and Rojo were. They were yeah. training wheels. It's I'm not saying it's easy to game plan and scheme with Bijan and Rojo, but it makes life easier. <laughs> oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. Dude, I don't know if we talked about this, Rod, but the more I think about the bowl game game plan, it just smacks of arrogance on Sark's part. You know, like – there, to me, there's no other explanation for it. I've, I'm not knocking Sark. I've called other coaches' game plans arrogant. There were Texas mm-hmm. opponents this year that had arrogant game plans. Uh, but it's like, okay, you're just going to line it up and smash Keelan Robinson between the tackles and take the fight to Washington. That's and I think, I think he thought they could just line up and go do that. Seems that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it seems that. Because to me, there's no—I mean, really, like not there's a lot no of creativity. That there's was, no other logical yeah. explanation for what yeah. they did, right? No, that was not a lot of creativity in the running game. I talked about hell, not one personnel rep of 21 personnel or two tailback sets. Even though he said he was going to use all the backs, it was kind of—it was just strange. It was strange. Sorry, I didn't mean to deter. No, 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 no. It's it's, fu- it's totally but, fine. Uh, yeah, it's just that's my biggest concern. What's all my my anxiety now is about. For Texas, about what what's the identity of this offense going to be? So I am you know trying to f- you know see exactly what Sark could see, but uh, I think there are different things he could do. You know, I mean there are d- there are different avenues that he could go down. But either way, it's that offensive line's got to be yeah, it they, be they, they got to be playing at a really high level. Because either, no I mean, matter we which talked way about he's going with that. the ineffectiveness in the passing game. A lot of the times, I mean, across all levels of football, it comes down to what pressure is allowed and how your quarterback performs under pressure. Because very few quarterbacks can perform well under pressure. Not to mention then be able to you know dissect the defense and understand yeah. what they're doing to them. The multi-layered things that come with the protection up front, not only for the run game and the passing game, and that's just something that you hope to see that huge growth because then Texas can be set up because you can really outperform your expectations if you have that protection up front because then it allows scheme. A lot of that stuff gets thrown out the do- door if you just are letting guys through up front. I, I don't want to get too far off on an NFL tangent, but we all just did watch the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we say creativity in the run game, how I think of it is go back and watch the Chiefs' run game in the second half. Very different than their first half. It was a lot of counters, a lot of traps, saw some mm-hmm. GT stuff. You know, there there was one point in time, I think it was with Jarek McKinnon, mm-hmm. they ran a full-back counter yeah. mm-hmm. with Jarek McKinnon. I was like, damn, I ain't seen full-back counter in a minute. That was with there it is. Sky Moore in the backfield. Back yeah. Yeah, that so that's, me that's what we're talking about with creativity in the run game. You're not counting on just lining up 
and having your offensive line, mm-hmm. you know, reset the line of scrimmage and smash dudes in front of them, you're talking about, hey, we need to create some leverage and some angles and, and get the defense flowing one way and go back to the next. Use your misdirection run game. That's exactly. what we're talking about when we talk about creativity in the run game. We didn't see that from Sark in the bowl game. But, Rod, when we talk about offensive identity, that's what excites me about the Savion Red move, getting him a look at running back. When you talk about positionless football and maybe maybe positionless football becomes the identity of the offense and having all if these that, pieces. You can say that, but there's nothing really that has – like that's just football theory that – I've discussed, but that's that's no real evidence that's happening. Honestly, like Savion Red moving it, that could be just as easily a move to try to push him off the roster. Like it really could be. Like I, I need to see Sark give me true evidence of that type of mindset, and he really hasn't of the the positionless football mm-hmm. thing. He what? hasn't. Like he, he, even the twenty one personnel and the two back sets of using that more and to move things around. Like, you didn't see that in the bowl game. So, apparently, he was just using that because those were his two best players. All right. And if, if that was something that was now a part of his scheme, you would have saw it, I thought, in the bowl game. You didn't see that. So, I'm starting to think, like, that he's necessarily – I don't know if he's trying to get out on the cutting edge to find out what the offensive identity is. But I've always – like I said, I think positionless football is the future football. I've been saying it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I – don't, I don't necessarily think he's going there. Like, that would mean moving – JT Sanders around a lot. That would mean J- Jordan Whittington is a prime example. Right. He didn't do a damn thing with Jordan Whittington. Yeah. He was just stuck in the slot the whole time. So I went back and watched more games to try to figure out if I could piecemeal and extrapolate some, you know, examples of it. But he's really not doing that. He's not. Well, and there's nothing really leading to that. That's just, I mean, we can talk about it and be great, but there's, there's not a lot of evidence of it. Like I said, Jordan Whittington was a prime example of it. I think Jordan Whittington in the backfield. One time last year, you put him in the backfield, and I remember we talked about it on the show. I was like, oh, man, so I'm in the backfield. I wonder how much we're going to see of that. We saw Xavier Worthy one or two times in the backfield. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not something he does a lot of. He's just doing it schematically, game plan-oriented stuff. They mainly use it to, to game. motion a guy out. Yeah, like it's not a philosophy. It's not a philosophy he's adopting. No, and the only time that <laughs> I've seen anything that made me think of like the hybridization of a skill set like Whittington was the way that he's used – Basically, as your blocking wide receiver, the way that Ben Skoranek is that guy on the yeah. Rams, and then the way that Juszczyk really does a lot of that stuff for the 49ers, or the way that Alex Ingold is that guy for the Dolphins. But those guys, they line up all over the place. Exactly. Whittington is basically when those guys line up and motioned into the out as a wide receiver, he becomes what that tool is there. So my initial thought when I heard this red stuff was that, well, Whittington's coming back. Red's not going to see the field. Let's get his skill set at least hybridized so, like, maybe he understands, you know, just angles of blocking and things along those lines. So maybe next year or down the road, whenever he's actually playing that position on the outside, he can do what we have winning because Whittington's blocking ability is really valuable in some of the past game because he's the guy that he's almost faking. And the rules are different in the NFL. Like, you can even block more so as a receiver early in the past than you can in the NFL. So using Whittington as a blocker, that's the only time that I ever see him be used the way that some NFL running backs are used when we're talking about this hybridization. But even the Keelan Robinson thing, right? Keelan Robinson is a natural hybrid player. Um, in the in the bowl game, he chose to use Keelan Robinson in a traditional like way, Running rather yeah, than very confusing. rather yeah. than using him in a utility a capacity as a utility player or a hybrid player. Yeah, it's like what the hell? And then just and obviously using Jonathan. So maybe it was injuries, but it just didn't. It, it he a lot of the things that he's doing it doesn't necessarily to me lend evidence that he is thinking about positionless football. 
It doesn't. Like, I'm, hope, I'm like, hopeful. I'm hopeful. It, it, it I would love it, but like I said, I'm, I'm my job is to try to give the audience evidence of of, the, of these things happening. And usually, that's why Black Shadamas is right about 21 personnel and empty sets because I see it and I can track it. It's not really a ton to track about it. It's just theory at this point. Yeah. He hasn't really put anything out there on to play. Like I said, the 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 bowl game was a prime example of hey, it's gonna be a great time to do it. Yeah. I lo- I just lost. My two main assets on offense. This is a great time to get extremely creative, move pieces around a chessboard, whether it be a JT Sanders or it was a Keelan Robinson or a Jay Witt. We didn't get any of that. Not anything. No. We didn't get, a, we didn't get anything. No. Yep. So my thing is like, okay, maybe he's thinking about it, but it's not a priority for him offensively. Not so, so I don't know if that could be the identity because I don't think he's prioritizing it. Um, Savian Red move, like I said, just could easily be a move to push him off the damn roster as it is to – uh, teach him a hybridized skill set or cultivate a hybridized skill set. Could be, yeah. So I'm saying it, it, it's something to discuss, but it's not, like I said, no evidence. Of, where's the evidence of it? Yeah. I, I had evidence of 21 personnel. I had evidence of two back sets. I had evidence of empty. I had evidence of targets. I have evidence of all that stuff. Yeah. I, I have no, I got notes for days. I got no evidence of him pursuing positionless football. Yeah. I, I, I'm hopeful that he does, Rod, because I don't know what else the identity of your offense would be. I mean, I, I think that's probably the way you should go because we talk about Whittington, and I'm not even talking about Savion Red, but between Whittington and the flexibility you could have with Worthy and the flexibility you know you've got with JT Sanders, like you've got the pieces to be able to move guys around. And, you know, depending on whatever personnel grouping you want to run, at the end of the day, it's all about hunting one of the, the most favorable one on one matchup. And at some point, you're just going to put a combination of skill guys on the field that the defense is like, look, somebody's going to have to be covered one on one. And now it's up to either pre snap or post snap for your quarterback to identify it and, and go attack it. Uh, other than that, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't. It's just that uncertainty. I don't know what the offensive identity is going to be without Bijan and Roshan, so I'm just kind of guessing at this point. Yeah. No, I think it starts with JT Sanders, and that's why you could you could see him starting with you know, building the offense around JT Sanders because he's your proven commodity, best tight end in the Big 12. Guy's an NFL tight end, and he's just tapping into it, right? He's just been playing tight end for how long? What, two years or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can start there, and then that could lead him down the rabbit hole of positionless football, trying to think about different ways to hide him within the construct of the offense and moving him around. Then go, all right, you know what? Yeah. Move him around. I got to move his. So yes, it seems like it should be a natural, you know, progression for him. But like I said, it's something I've been talking about for ten years, and usually, you know, I'd get really giddy about, oh, these are examples of the positionless football that he's pursuing, and he's he's dabbling in it. That's it's not. I haven't seen it. Yeah, and just to get the numbers. Like I said, Jay Witt's a prime example. Jay no. Witt should be – he is. He literally was a, a running back and is playing wide receiver and is a great blocker and has a physical skill set. Now, I know health has been an issue, but he was healthy last year. They never pursued that. Keelan Robinson, although used in that capacity this year as a wide receiver and a running back in the bowl game, lost both of your best running backs, and you decide to use him in a traditional format when he's been thriving in a utility capacity? What? What? Some that guys doesn't say positionless football. And it's not a not, it's not a knock on the skill set. Like some guys are just utility guys. Yeah. No, it's and not a knock at what all. They are. And yeah. to the numbers, like you said, uh, I just pulled them out, and I mean there was absolutely no snaps. Uh, at least according to Whittington, ended 
lined up at running back in only point two percent, which is two snaps that he was at tight end, which is those two oh, plays yeah. basically yeah. because JT Sanders lined up at running back one point one percent of the time. So you're talking one out of every hundred snaps, he would actually maybe motion back there and that would be maybe the two plays where Whittington would maybe motion into being a tight end. There's absolutely no evidence by the numbers of them doing that, it was just at times when you would go empty. Yeah, and see it was like a, it was a, it was a game plan specific thing, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, we're or looking a goal for a, line package, yeah. most likely. We're looking for a pattern and a trend that says, "Oh, I think I know what he's thinking." Yeah. I'm, I, it, it, no, it's no pattern. There's no trend to yeah, it. There's it's one just out of hundred. Yeah, it's, hopeful, it's hopeful back. thinking by yeah. by me by us. It's just not. Like I said, I, I do think I still think it's the future football. I used to see it at the NFL level all the time, and I see it at the college level being utilized more and more. And there are aspects of it. In within Sark's offense, so yeah, it's yes. there. It's sprinkled in, but it is not a theme. It is not a theme that can lead to an identity right now. And, and you I doubt said you're going to see it in spring football. He'd be an idiot to reveal it then, right? <laughs> and you said it right there. It's sprinkled in as aspects of it because it's basically where we see positionless football happen. Where they end and when the play starts is sort of where like you'll have these guys mm-hmm. performing in that position, but they aren't actually lining up and playing in the different hybridized roles. It's just after the play happens, one guy may perform something the way that a running back or a tight end would. Yeah. No, and it, the Chiefs use it. I mean, Kelsey is a prime example because they hide mm-hmm. Kelsey all around the formation, yep. moving him around with shifts, and he's pro- he's a he's the most effective receiver in the NFL with a shift or a motion. They do a ton of that. Oh, yeah. Look at the the way they're using uh, uh, the run back, Jack McKinnon. Yeah. Right? How they use him. Move we him around. We talked, talked about, about him a couple him weeks ago. Yeah, but they, they use him in the passing game a ton. RPOs. Right? Exactly. Um, and Kadarius Tony. Now he's there, you know, the the wide receiver with in the running, in the running mm-hmm. game, right? They use him to add him in, into the running game as a wide receiver that can also ha- take the jet sweeps or take that, you know, that, I don't know, that um, kind of that arrow route after mm-hmm. the jet sweep out into the flat, whatever it may be. So it's. He, yeah, it's. I, I think I see more of it. You talk about Sky Moore's in the backfield. I see more of it just with simple Andy Reid stuff. And he's just trying to hide really great players. Yeah, yeah. But or I, engineer a matchup. The one thing that we were yeah. most frustrated about was say like when Bijan would go and line up and then would line up outside and not motion or move, and it would allow the defense to say keep a corner, keep whatever their coverage is, not then motion him right before the snap inside to try to get him against a linebacker. Like those are the little type of cheat code type things that you see something like Andy Reid on every single play is almost moving those intended receivers into the area specifically to engineer the mismatch that you want. And you don't see that nearly as much as you would like to in, say, Sark's offense, even though he shows flashes of it and you see it like maybe on a red zone package or one play here or there in like the scripted first 15. But then we talk about seeing less and less and less of those plays as the game goes on instead of just doubling down and overloading your offense full of those cheat codes. But see, I, I, Rod, I think you hit the nail on the head. If you really look at this Texas offense under Sark and, and try to find the, the positionless stuff or where you're trying to hide guys or you're using personnel groupings really to hunt matchups, specifically in the pass game, it really is more game-by-game, game, game plan specific rather than, hey, this is kind of what we do because – those things never really look the same. No, that's and it's a credit to them. But yeah. I think now without B, and I think a lot of it was, and I'm give them credit. I think it was like you know what, it's just about Bijan and Rojo, right? And I think that's the conclusion he came to late last year, and it was a smart conclusion to come to. Um, but without Bijan and Rojo, and you're bringing back every other piece pretty much on offense except those two guys, 
it there should be a natural progress for him, at least the man in the mirror moment in the offseason. All right, how do I what am I building this offense around? How do I build it? And what are the priorities of the offense? Like and and that and, and really your theme is just what you do really well. Yeah. Right? That's your that's your identity. What do you do well? What do you do as well, if not better than everybody else? Does he know what they do really well? To me, you start building around proven commodities and if you don't know what mm-hmm. you do really well, it's like all right, what proven commodities are JT Sanders, X Man, Jay Witt, Keelan Sanders. Uh, Keelan Keelan Sanders, Keelan Robinson, Keelan Robinson, and yeah, I did. I hybridized (laughs) the name. Um, Yeah, I mean, like those are kind of your four proven commodities you're bringing back skill wise, and you kind of start there. But to me, three of those four guys can be used in a positionless manner. Yeah, for sure. Um, The reason why I'm hopeful though that Sark eventually gets to that point goes back to your JT Sanders comment because. If Sark is right, if he's not blowing smoke, and the tight end really is, other than quarterback, the most important position in his offense, to your point, Rod, shouldn't that lead you down that rabbit hole of, hey, I've got this guy with a really unique skill set. I've got to figure out multiple ways to try to get him the football. Agreed. And, yeah, I'm with you. And that, movie, that means at tight end, moving him around. When we, I don't know exactly where he lined up this year, Matt, because I haven't looked at it, but next season – if he doesn't have adequate, adequate snaps, and like I said, I don't know exactly what it is, but I want evenly distribu- even distribution between traditional tight end, flex tight end, offset tight end, mm-hmm. H-back, fullback, uh, slot, and out wide. Did I miss anything? If he does, and you should make up some stuff for him too, by the way. Some other random stuff that we can't even keep track of, like putting him in motion like they do Kelsey all the time, just moving Mm -hmm. him around. If he doesn't have even distribution all over the place and it's mostly just at two or three spots, I think that's a failure of of imagination and a lack of creativity by Sark. It's like, dude, that guy, man, turn that guy into a a tight end that they're talking about being drafted really high. Yeah. Because that that to me would be the challenge, which by the way, I mean, I'm – Sure, he can. I'm sure if we look through the resume, we can find tight ends he's utilized in that manner. This should be one of those guys that. You, and and by the way, dude, no, he's an instant mismatch because whose best cover guy is at linebacker and safety? Nobody. Nobody's. They're not That's putting why. their even nickels on tight ends these days because everybody's got a slot wide receiver that can that can wreak havoc. Dude, he's getting safeties and linebackers. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Dude, yeah. you should be scheming up all types of stuff. Easy easy throws, too. Yeah. I mean, that tight ends are easy throws, potentially, because he can create a lot of separation and it's uh, advantageous matchups all con- consistently all the time. And that's why we were so frustrated even this year at times that Bichon didn't get more targets in the exactly. passing game. Because, like, yes, that was something that was Come so on. huge that those are the ones that, like, Honestly, I don't see why you aren't hoping to engineer such things more often because there's maybe a reason why you don't have X-Man having to do it because his body is like he's 160 pounds. Exactly. You maybe he can't be as durable in those situations. Now, in the NFL, when you see Jefferson, like – getting 40% of his snaps against linebackers and stuff. Those guys, a lot bigger of a body type, they can endure those things, but it's why running backs and tight ends have really exploded in the modern passing game because they're the guys that are left yeah. with that matchup just as a baseline on every play. Go watch every NFL team that's got a good tight end. they got great tight end screens. We didn't see enough tight end screen game. And, yeah, and to get to your point about Bijan Hill, Jeff said when he first saw Bijan, what'd you say? He could be just as good of a slot receiver mm-hmm. yeah, as he could play that. And yeah, and the basically play Devin Duvernay's position. Yeah. 
and been and, and the NFL would have considered him. Oh, you know what? He's a great slot receiver. I, I, and so I'm saying that I love Sark. I think he's doing a good job. But you could argue, even with Bijan, still a little underutilized. Why he was here, especially in the passing game. Which, by the way, he always says. What do you say about running backs? They're the most underutilized weapon in the passing game. And mm-hmm. yet you had the best running back in the country and underutilized him in the passing game. Yes. <laughs> it's like, dude, I can play your quotes for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, here, to your point, Rod, about how you want to see JT Sanders used, I went up and pulled uh, this past season. Is this? Yeah, this is this past season. Uh, Brock Bowers snaps by Ooh. position. Yeah, that's wild. Okay. Yeah, give me that. 14 in the backfield. So basically almost once a game you're putting him in the backfield. I love it. Uh, 259 is an inline tight end, 315 in the slot, 67 <laughs> out wide. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I love it. That's what I'm saying. It should be all around. And I bet a lot of the inline tight end stuff, I bet at times he's he's motioning and shifting as an H-back, kind of moving him, you know what I mean, to try to manipulate yeah. the matchup with the defense. Yeah, he just should be moved around a ton. Like the defense should never be able to uh, identify him easily within the, the construct of the play. And like JT Sanders, I've got his Matt. I don't know. I think you might have read this already, but yeah, JT Sanders last year, eleven in the backfield, five hundred sixty six as an bad. inline tight end, one hundred thirty two in the slot, fifty out wide. Okay, that's not bad. But we can go look at JTs and say, okay, when he was in the backfield, what was he doing? Well, yeah. Uh, they they love JT as a blocker though. I mean, right? They they use JT as a blocker. A we know what he was as an inline tight end and as a slot. But when he's out wide, what is, what, are you, what are you doing with him when he's out wide? Yeah, you, I gotta go look at in, in the red zone. Throwing do they say targets per position? No, I don't think okay. it breaks it down that in depth. All right, maybe that's something I can go look at because I love to see the target distribution when yeah, he is for sure in the slot out wide in the back. And like they they threw him tight end screens, but it was the same type of screen. There wasn't. You didn't really variety. elaborate. Yeah, you didn't have yeah. variety in that tight end screen game. Yeah. No? I mean just I know it's a random rant, but No, it's but it's worth talking about because we're trying to we're gonna try to fit and look, I mean we're we're not gonna watch the spring game in April and be like, Okay, yeah, we know it. No. You might see little kernels here and there, but Sark isn't gonna Sark isn't gonna give away trade secrets in the spring game. There's no and he there's no reason to. No, yeah, he shouldn't. Um I do want to get back to the schedule though, just just for a minute. And uh, we talk about Texas, that identity changing from you're going from the kind of the a, a conference where the identity is tied to the state to now this big national brand, this premium brand in the SEC. Everything I've read, what I've heard is that the three, you know, when the SEC goes to a nine game schedule, which thank God they are. I can't like we don't need that FCS week in the middle of November, like coming off. Oh, this is a great games. And then, oh, it's. A&M playing Prairie View. So my apologies to the Prairie View <laughs> alums out there, but we don't need to see that. We don't need to see Alabama playing the Citadel in I November. Agree. I don't know. Uh, while, it, while everybody else in the country is playing high leverage football. Mm-hmm. But you think about that, everything I've heard, read, whatever, it sounds like the three permanent rivals in this 3-6 rotating, you got three permanent rivals and you'll rotate everybody else in the scheduling format. sounds like three permanent games for Texas, three permanent opponents are going to be Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. I'm assuming you guys would be good with that, if that's how it played out. I like you're that. Play, you'll play though, you know you'll play those three teams year in and year yeah. out. Yeah, that's sexy. Yeah. Rivalries all across the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. You need multiple rivals. It's healthy for Texas. Yep, and the way that it's set up, I mean, you have so many teams in the conference, you know you aren't going to get to play all the teams and get all those road trips. Like, I mean, it took forever for A&M. They're just finally finishing going through and playing 
at Athens and stuff. So to have those three that you play each year and then to rotate in the other 13 that that are, there will be, I mean, those road trips are going to take the next 20 years before you actually get to play every single one. That's why you don't want to dilute those couple matchups and get those rivals every single season. We, we were t- Craig and I were talking about it on Light the Tower. We talk about SEC scheduling and – Talk about the permanent opponents for Texas. Well, okay, if, if Arkansas has got Texas, then who else do they have? Well, who you know who does A and M have? And A and M fans want to keep the LSU game, and mm. you know, you've got rivalries like Auburn and Georgia that need to stay intact. You got the Iron Bowl, like you got all these rivalries. And then, like, if I'm like a you know like a Kentucky fan, I'm like, hey, somebody's got to play us. We got to have three people we play every year. I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody's got to get stuck playing us. And South Carolina's probably saying the same thing. Like, That's how Mississippi sure. State was at the bottom of the totem pole, and they get thrown in with the Aggies. Oh, Mississippi State? Yeah, yeah. that was their third one. They, But, you, I mean, you got to fill it out somewhere against somebody. Well, it's like Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and, like, Mississippi State. Like, they, they, they need their other yeah. additional one. The problem for the Aggies is that Aggies – they don't have a rival right now, and they're getting back their rival with Texas. They don't like the Texas, Texas and robbery from this aspect. They don't like that they're the side piece for Texas. Texas's real rival now is Oklahoma. That's mm-hmm. their true rival. That's mm-hmm. their main rival. And the Aggies are seen as a – and I'm not saying you are, but you're seen nat- kind of nationally as a side piece yeah. for Texas. You're, you're the side, side chick. They don't want to be that. They want a main rival. Right now they don't have one. All right, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the identity crisis going on with the Aggies. They want a main rival. LSU is saying we don't want to be considered y'all's rival. All right, because that would be dumpster diving for us. We're better than A <laughs> and M. And then it was like, hey man, let's hook up because LSU doesn't have necessarily a natural rival either. Right. And that's why Aggies are like, hey man, this would be a natural rival. But LSU's like, no, nah, no, nah, we look down on you. We don't want to be y'all's rival. Yeah. No, that we we think that would be, you know, you would be out kicking your coverage if we decided to be your rival. Yeah, like so we, we want Bama. Yeah, they're, exactly. And Bama's like, well, we got we got a lot of these. Yeah, we got a bunch of them. Yeah, we're basically like the kind of the Cowboys, kind of like the you know Texas, like Notre Dame, or you know, we got multiple rivals. Bama's like line forms to the left of teams that want to play us. Yeah, call yourself a rival if you want to, but we'll never do that. So that's what's going on there, and I think for the Aggies, it'll be good because now they're basically forcing these marriages, these arranged rivals, mm-hmm. if you will, and that's good for the Aggies because they need one. The yeah. LSU doesn't really need one. LSU's fine. But the Aggies got a little bit of an identity crisis without one. That's what I was thinking. They got like, nobody to complain to. Like, yeah. what's, and what's then the they game? just had the one thing they had was over Texas. Was, we're SEC school, and then Texas. They don't have that anymore. You're the side piece in yep. the SEC. Like, well, I was thinking about LSU, though. Like, What's the one rivalry game, if you ask that LSU fan base, what you would keep? And I, the only one I can think of is Alabama. Oh yeah, no, no, because they, they exactly they they're dealing with the same like uh, side chick syndrome that you know that the Aggies are dealing with, yeah. except on the Alabama level. They want Alabama to declare them a rival. And I was like, man, when we get around to it, I guess we man, got lots of rivals. If you guys are really good, then I guess you can be our rival. But we got all types of rivals, so they don't really have one either. And everybody's trying to punch up a little bit there. <laughs> so, yeah. Is that kind of kind of what I say when we got into some of these Texas seasons where I'm like, boys, it's a week to week proposition. Is that how Alabama considers LSU a rival? It's a year to year proposition, pretty much. If you're good, then yes. If you're if good, you're not, then oh no. yeah, it's a rivalry game. If you're not, at Orgeron's last year, no, nah, it wasn't. <laughs> that was just that was just game eight on the schedule. Yeah, that's what it feels like. But I just say that's why this this formula is good. Because then you deal away with all that identity crisis nonsense and you arrange these rifles. I'll, I'll give you a great example. I think Bama views LSU probably the same way Texas views Texas Tech. Like, if you're good, we'll, we'll take that game seriously. 
We'll 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 put a lot into it. If you're not, then yeah, it's, it's whatever. Yeah. No, Texas got a lot of those. I mean, Baylor's like that for Texas. Baylor's Texas like got that. a few of those in the Big Twelve. Yeah, yeah, which they should. And some of those are going away. I'll tell you what excites me the most about this is the fact that one of my bucket list stadiums to go to is the Big House, Tennessee, Michigan Stadium. Oh, Michigan. And oh, yeah. To make Fox Hole, it hasn't been made official yet, but sounds like that Texas-Michigan game, the first game, is going to be moved. Instead of being played in Austin, it's going to be played in Ann Arbor right. in 2024. It's true. So if that's the case, then to cross another one off the bucket list. That'll be cool. Yeah, that will be pretty cool. Well, I mean, yeah, that's going to be a tough stretch. Yeah. You're about to go to Bama, then you go to Michigan, mm-hmm. and then yeah. you got Ohio State, right? Ohio State for two, and then Michigan at home. Yeah, and none conferences. Legit. Yep. Yeah. It's good, though. And you get the Bama in right before you go to the SEC. But uh, you know what I think, too, with an expanded to with an expanded playoff that schedule's more palatable? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not concerned about it being tough. I'm just saying it's just like, um, you know, just a tough non-conference schedule. And, yes, you're about to go into the SEC. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's just a natural, um, really kind of the natural progression of things now in college football. Yeah. Yeah. There's a separation of the half and half nights. We know in, in SEC play, they're probably going to do away with the, you know, that little scrub game they have in the middle of the season uh, where they end up playing a, uh, some D2 school or whoever it is. Um, they're going to do away with that because now it seems like they want to g- at least pack these schedules mm-hmm. with as many but any big-time blockbuster matchups as they can. Yeah. We're past those days of, man, I need a couple of cupcakes on the schedule. For sure. No, I think it definitely because of the playoff. That gives yeah. you more margin for error there, too. Um, but also, I think, you know, we're dealing with a, an, a landscape, potentially a future landscape in college football where, I mean, I, I think you could end up with those, you know, four – Power conferences, those mm-hmm. just four power conferences, growing to whatever the super conferences may be, and then that's major college football. That's it in a nutshell. And that's we sort of saw it. Yeah. It felt like it all really snowballed into that after the Texas Ohio State, you know, two thousand five, two thousand six series, because that's when the scheduling began. Because I remember back then mm-hmm. seeing that. Oh wow, from twenty eighteen to. 2028, it was just a laundry list. We're playing USC, we're playing Alabama, we're playing LSU, playing Michigan. It was every single year. And I think really the success that those games propelled the winner of Texas Ohio State each year went to the national championship Mm -hmm. game that season. And you had seen in the recent years before it, like USC had played Oklahoma. There had been a few other premier type ones that were thrown in there. And I think the success that happened while those schedulings, it was just like at that point you need to have that marquee non-conference game because if you're a big school like Texas, especially like when you see what happened in 2012 to TCU and Baylor whenever they didn't have something like that and they get left Mm -hmm. out in a conference. It's just, yeah, if you're good that year, don't be afraid. It's going to be worth it, and if you deserve it, you're going to have no questions about it. You're automatically in. Well, it's good for your fans, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The Big 12, although Big 12 really competitive teams, they're just there's not enough blue bloods in the mm-hmm. Big 12. Your rival, of course, Oklahoma is one. Not enough blue blood football programs in the Big 12 that are considered for college football fans destination. I mean, Jeff just said, I got to get to the big house. Right? Well, I that's get to why Michigan. that Michigan and that's Rose why, Bowl. Yeah. And it, I think those it, are basically, this is rewarding your fans and going, all right, man, if y'all are loyal, we may not even be that great, but before your hope is killed, 
eight games into the season, we'll schedule you a big dog and you can take the trip or you guys can get, you know, it'll be a home game and you can try to get tickets to the game, whatever it may be. Um, I think it's a lot of it's been done for the fans. Yeah, and for yeah. sure, because, I mean, going back to that horseshoe game, what had you done two games prior to that? Beat Michigan in a Rose Bowl. Yep. But just having those marquee matchups and mm-hmm. how much, you know, the whole university loves the way that it plays out, it definitely probably incentivizes. You just can't get too carried away like Rod. I remember back in your playing days, like, Colorado under Gary Barnett, they would have some of those non-conference schedules. Like, oh yeah, because they had that, they had that. You know, the Colorado State game used to be a big track game for them. Mm-hmm. That rivalry. It's like, all right, we're gonna go play Florida State uh, and Notre Dame in non-conference. Like, what were the Indianapolis Colts not available? Yeah. Like, what, what are you doing? Be, they don't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Sandwich that in between reasonable non-conference opponents. Which mix Texas in a, at the does. time be like mix in a whack team. Like, mm-hmm. just, yeah. No, I'm not saying go. Yeah, don't go ham like that. That ain't that. That ain't smart. Don't do that. Unless, honestly, there are teams like, like for you know Boise State back in the day, stuff like that was always worth it. They was like, nah, we're gonna jam pack our non-con because we gonna boss hog the conference. That's just what we do. And they were playing in a smaller conference. It was like, nah, we need to get eyes on us. And the best way to do that, play a big time opponent and to upset a big time opponent. So they would, they'd be, have some of those schedules too back in the day. Yeah. But they have like multiple big time games because they figured we're going to upset one of these teams. And they were mm-hmm. usually right. <laughs> yep. Um, so if I was like, yeah, if I was Kansas, I'd do it. I know it sucks, but I'm not going to, it's not going to affect me in Big 12 play. Yeah. I'm probably going to suck in Big 12 play anyway. Or, you know what I mean, they did great this year for Kansas. But my point is, you're trying to get eyeballs on you, and you're just trying to get a you know get more impressions. You're just trying to get you know uh, to a bigger platform. I would play some of those teams. And early on, that's the best way to upset teams because they're not ready early on. A lot of good yeah. teams, they play bad early on. Ask Nick Saban. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then, all the time. And then you, for some of the smaller schools, that's why that's why for a lot of team programs, getting into the Power Five is so critical because eventually you get to a place like Boise got to where nobody wants to play you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. I was like, nah, we good. Yeah. <laughs> nah, that's a trap. It's a trap. You know, BYU's kind of been the same thing. Like, they are. Because it's, it's I've said this all the time, it's a no-win situation playing BYU. Mm-hmm. If you win the game, you were supposed to win it. If you lose, your fan base is pissed, but I'm sorry, we just got beat by a bunch of 25-year-old grown men. <laughs> yep. yep. You don't get credit for stuff you're supposed to do, yeah. like Chris Rock said. and Yeah, he's a prime example of it. Um, Texas fans learned that oh so well. I do, I do want to get into a couple of some of this stuff real quick, and, and we can elaborate on some of this stuff next week. Before we get to the uh, returning production and SP+, Plus, which we might save that for next week, just, it's not going anywhere, and we're uh, starting to wind it down, wind it up right here. Um I do want to look at this, though, the CSPN article that came out talking about coaches' hot seats. I saw and, that. You know, the Big 12, Neil Brown is on a hot seat. I'm surprised Neil Brown is back for another year, if we're being honest. And I like Neil Brown, but, man, that's that's a program. He hasn't had a winning season yeah, yet Yeah, I'm in with West you. Virginia. They shouldn't have brought him back. Yeah. That, you just see delaying the inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. Really, even if he has a good season and then follows it up with a bad season because you're not going to sign him to a long-term deal, you're going to fire him then. He's on the so Mike then, McCarthy plan. Yeah, come on, man. You guys are in your – Third year marriage counseling. Let's end this damn thing. Yeah. So this is Adam Rittenberg <laughs> that, that authored this, uh, and one of his categories is he's got hot seat and then keep an eye on. And keep an eye on, he's got Dana Holgerson at Houston. Mm. It seems like Dana Holgerson lives on the hot seat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that there's a lot of dysfunction happening there, though, right? Yeah. It's, it's less about stuff on the field. It's more Matt, about the dysfunction. And he just looks like dysfunction. He does. <laughs> Matt he looks I, disheveled. Matt and I were talking about it. <laughs> Before you got in here, Rod, you remember like two years ago when U of H had one of the best defenses in the country? I remember that D-line was sacked Av, right? They yeah. were calling it. I, Matt and I just looked at it. The SP Plus projections 
have U of H in 2023 to finish 104th in, in defensive SP+. Plus. I know, and they're young D.C. I think they signed him to a long-term deal. Yeah, he probably should have taken another job somewhere else when he, when he was a hot name. That's why sometimes you're a coach. You gotta, yeah. You gotta know when around. it's, yeah, exactly, right. That first nope. New Year somewhere, they don't know you. Don't have the yes. film, the familiar. Sometimes you just need to know that it was more circumstance and coincidence, mm-hmm. or yep. not more. Just it, it, a lot of luck was it contributed to your success. And if that is the case, you might need to think yeah. about, hey, man, I need to hop to another job. Yeah, because unless I will be exposed staying, here. Yeah, unless you're staying on the cutting edge and changing a lot, there's yeah. going to be a lot of your tendencies and your film, a lot of those things. Like if you're just like, nah. I know what I do when I'm going to beat you at it. It's like, yeah, it's going to be tough to do it again. So this is what Adam Rittenberg wrote in terms of keeping on when it came to keep comes to keep an eye on Sark, if I can talk right today. Sarkeesian is 13-12 at Texas, continuing a head coaching tenure, which this is worth getting into throughout the offseason. It's just kind of Sark's head coaching record. No 10-win seasons, only one nine-win season. Uh, Actually, I think that's wrong. No, he he had a nine. Washington won nine games this last year there. But he didn't coach the bowl game, yeah, so you're he right. didn't get credit for the nine credit. That's right. That's a good point. Uh, but I believe he would have won now. Yeah. Uh, that hasn't come close to what he accomplished as a coordinator. He signed through 2026 and will be owed $12.6 million and fired this year. But Texas has the funds if the team backslides this fall. The arrival of decorated quarterback recruit Arch Manning helps Sarkeesian's chances of, co- of coaching in 2024. What could hurt him? Two attractive replacement candidates within the state and Sonny Dykes, who just took TCU to the national title game, and UTSA's Jeff Trailer. Guys, anything short of like five and seven, like I, it's hard for me to see a scenario where Sark isn't back in twenty twenty four, and maybe he's on the hot seat in twenty twenty four, depending on what things look like this year. But it would have to be. Am I wrong, Rod? Like it would have no. to be just an abject disaster. Yeah, I agree. For to even entertain that idea, I I, I believe he'll be the head coach when Texas goes to the SEC. I yeah. I do too. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I, I no, man, really, like I said, no matter what happens, unless, yeah, five just and seven. Full blown and you're like, get five and seven, okay. Blown out I by get, Kansas. Yeah, like you're three and nine or something, just something, yes. uh, just something we don't foresee happening. happening. And I don't, see, I don't see him taking that type of, reg- I don't have that type of regression. All that happening, no, Arch no. transfer portal, like, it did take a ton of things. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, 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 I see where they're coming from, potentially, just because Texas fans are always, Little rabbit when, yeah. when yeah. around, you know, about their coach and about losses. But for Sark, if you know, if he wins eight games next season, the fan base will be disappointed, but he won't get fired for that. No, um, like I said, I'm with you. I think anything short of a losing season, then anything can happen. If he yeah. has a losing, I, I, I cannot, I can't fathom it right now. If he does, that like, that would be, I. I would be flabbergasted, and I don't use that word a lot. If he had a losing season, yeah, it that has would, to that be would so mean, ugly. Yeah. That would mean you lose the locker room. You lose. I mean, something it would crazy happens. Just, happen. just yeah. like I said, just a, an abject disaster. Uh, but to your point, Rod, like this isn't this isn't Mac Brown twenty thirteen, where it's like, hey, win the conference or else. No, kind of. I don't think that. I think they want him to be the head coach when they go into the SEC. Yeah, they. I think that they discuss behind the scenes. What are you talking about, Kevin Eltie or Jay Hartzell or CDC? His plan, and that's why he's building this team as an SEC team, right? You always talk about the SEC is a line of scrimmage league, um, and I totally agree with you, and you're right, and I think that's where he's starting. He's starting to build Texas from the inside out. So I think they want to see his vision in the SEC. Now, after the first year in the SEC, Mm -hmm. (laughs) once again, anything can happen. Let the chips fall where they may. Am I just going revisionist history here, or is Sark the first – Texas head coach we've seen 
since Mac in the build-up to the national championship that like had a vision for what his roster wanted to look, what he wanted his roster to look like, and you could see, okay, I see where he's going with it, or maybe is it just like Tom Herman and Charlie Strong? They didn't, I know Charlie didn't have enough time because we kind of saw, especially defensively, what yeah, Charlie you was saw what to you, go. Charlie defensively, you saw what he was doing, and like maybe Being long rangey, maybe Tom a little bit offensively, but even yeah. and I, but I think he just speed at linebacker. I just think Tom got too. Too pigeonholed with mm. positions in terms of I have to have this body type at this position or it can't work type stuff. But I just I like Sark's vision for you know, and it's not look. It's not to say that it's automatically if he builds this roster exactly the way he wants to. It's not automatically soon that Texas mm. is going to go win SEC championships and be in the playoff every year. Nope. But that's how Sark wants to do it, man. He wants big people up front. He wants a big, strong quarterback. You know, mobility is not to borrow Sark's word. It's, you know, quarterback run game is not something they're going to major in. Uh, mm-hmm. He wants he wants a big Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning type back there that. Somewhere between a dual threat guy and functional mobility in terms of how he moves around, uh, and then we kind of see what PK is building on defense. So I don't know. I just I just like the fact that you see a vision, and the reason why I would disagree putting Sark on any kind of hot seat. To your point, Rod, knowing that the administration is behind him at this point, and it's going to let him at least mm-hmm. get further down the road of seeing that vision through than we've seen some other coaches do around here mm-hmm. recently. It's I don't. I wouldn't pay attention to any of that hot seat talk. No, if, if you're up, just I a, wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, we're not even entertaining that at all. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. That's just the clicks, here, I think exactly yeah. for the micro, the way that we can know what's going on and follow everything involving Texas and follow the details. I would say no chance. Now, if you're writing a national article and are just looking at the oh well, this coach's record is this bad and there's been turmoil over time and there's been lots of change and texas is always not happy and they've had four new coaches then yeah you can write a piece real quick and being like eh, if if there's a candidate what one could possibly happen but yeah no if you've examined the details and know what's going on in texas in this current situation with this roster and where it's got to with these players and this coach specifically then it would not make much sense to hit the restart button again. But we did have this conversation about Tom Herman Very the true. year, the year right before COVID yeah. happened, and then okay. it happened that fast. That's a great point. Okay, so if something dramatic off the field happens, because yes. Tom Herman, it was the eyes of Texas. Yep. We know how that worked out. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the picture with Sam Ellinger, and then Tom Herman, just he just never knew how to build a bridge. I mean, yep. he just had no there, – there were no advocates for Tom Herman once he did get on the hot seat. And yeah. That's how you saw. That's how you knew mm-hmm. that he didn't really, he didn't value relationships, whether it be with the players. That's why recruiting fell off because recruiting's mm-hmm. our relationships. Yep. Boosters and donors, uh, you know, he didn't hang out with boosters and donors a lot. Upset them a lot, of course, with the eyes of Texas, alienated them, and then his own boss, yep. his own boss, didn't even like me. You know, Texas coaches came out and threw him under the bus. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Got- uh, as a matter of fact, Chip had one of the stories where oh, he asked. Man. Eddie Reese, Edric Floreal, uh, I think both tennis coaches. Like, were you guys told what to do? Yes, CDC was very clear. Jay Hartzell was very clear on how to handle this. Man, when you got yeah, when yeah. you got other coaches throwing you under the bus, you didn't make many friends around there. So I think for Tom Herman, it was there was other stuff other than the on the field product that hurt him. Yep. For Sark, as long as he's 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 doing what he's doing right now, and the, the pro, even even if they don't succeed next year and exceed expectations, let's mm-hmm. say they win just eight games. Seven yeah. games. I still think he's safe. Yeah, like I said, it would I, have I to be the worst season in it's history. It's got to be a losing record, which would shock everybody. And everybody would go, 
he's got to go. Yeah. I mean, he's got to go, guys. He's just not the guy. And this is my one chance to Sark, though, because Sark's got to grow as a coach, too. Sark is not there yet. Right. To be a, he's not a championship coach. Now, maybe he's the coach before you hire the championship coach that helps you build, you know, all the different, you know, uh, necessary components, all right, to become a championship contender. But when he faces a coach that wins at least 60% of their games, that means you're a good coach to me. You six percent. That's that's to get into the Hall of Fame. You have to win at least sixty percent of your games. They're debating right now changing that because Mike Leach won like fifty nine point five percent of his games. It's like, well, if Mike Leach ain't in the Hall of Fame, your Hall of Fame sucks. Round up. So you do need to yeah, round it up. Whatever you got to do. Uh, when he faces a coach that wins at least sixty percent of their games, he's he's only winning like forty percent, forty percent win percentage. Yeah. Now, you got to be better at the chess match within the game. That's the challenge for Sark this year. Like I said, we already know game plan and preparation. He's excellent. He's one of the best in the country. But the chess match within the game, the adjustments, and then the counters, he he's not really great. So he's got to get better at the chess match. Andy Reid just won the Super Bowl. Yeah, chess chess champion, yes. master class in it. They were down double digits at halftime. You know how many quarterbacks have won the Super Bowl after being down double digits at halftime? Just one. Tom freaking Brady because he's the Edward, goat, Patrick and Brady. now it's two. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Patrick, but it's mostly he might be the goat. Andy Reid made a lot of great adjustments. Um, if you just kind of go through and watch it, so that's the you know you got to win the chess match within the game. Sark loses that chess match all too mm-hmm. often. He's got to get better at that. I think he will, but that's his man in the mirror moment. He's got to do that. Yeah, for sure. And one more thing I'll say about the positionless stuff: if Sark really does study, I think you brought this up last week, Rod. If he really does study. The Shanahan offense and Sean McVay he offense, the Mike McDaniel offense, Matt LaFleur, if he's really paying attention to what that tree's all about, it's all about positionless football. Think about all man, think about all the position positionless players you just rattled off. Mm-hmm. The 49ers, the Rams, the Dolphins. It's all everybody yeah, from that Shanahan that tree. tree. Mm-hmm. that values positionless football. So uh, we'll get more into the uh, returning production and SP Plus projections next week. Trust we've got a, a, a long time to go bet- before we're getting into spring football stuff, so uh, plenty of podcasts. And I, I don't know when we'll do the, the mailbag episode, but we'll we'll do that uh, here before too long. Just take just take listener questions through email, Twitter, whatever. We'll figure it out. But uh, le- definitely looking forward to uh, this spring on Longhorn Blitz. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For Matt Farad, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge from 3 to 7. Same as book. You can also get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows, or on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.